Genesis chapter 2, if you have your Bibles today. Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. Got a couple more weeks here of this series, Foundations. Genesis 1 through 3, looking at some of the, the core, primary issues of things that are going on in our culture. And... Uh, Looking at them from a biblical perspective. So, so this morning we're going to talk about rest. And I thought what I would do originally, I talked to Lauren, he didn't buy into it. But I was just going to give like a 5-10 minute sermon. Lights down, light music, and just let everybody rest for like, you know, 45 minutes or so. I wanted to do that. He said no. So, you, Lauren at PuyallupBaptist.org. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. So l- let me ask you a couple questions. Let's do a little exercise here. A little brain exercise. Think about this. Don't don't say it out loud, but just think about it. How would you define rest? Like what is what is rest to you? What, what kind of things are restful? Maybe it includes palm trees and sand, or maybe it includes water, mountains. Maybe it includes a hammock. Maybe it includes a pina colada, virgin, of course. But you know, what what does rest include? Lack of loud noises, lack of lots of people talking. Another question is, how frequently then do you rest? Again, don't, don't talk, don't, don't share that, but think about it. How frequently do you really experience rest? Not just saw I sleep or I took a nap, but like true restfulness. How often do you experience that? Last question, in this hurry, worry, busy world, what keeps you from rest? Right? In, in this world that, that worships the triune God of hurry and worry and busy, what are the things that keep you from rest? Think, think about all of those different things. Maybe you look next to you and you're like, that's what keeps me from rest. I get it. So like the, the past three sermons that we've done in this series have been difficult for me, right? They've been real controversial issues. We talked about gender we talked about marriage. We talked about gender roles. Like those are controversial, heavy types of things um, that we preached about and talked about. And now we talk about rest. And I got to tell you that this sermon is just as difficult for me for a different reason. Those sermons were difficult because of the controversial nature of the sermons. This sermon is difficult because I am just not good at this. I'm bad at understanding rest. As I've been studying this week, it's different than the last few weeks. The last few weeks, I've been like, yeah, I can't wait. This is going to be awesome. I get to tell everybody about biblical gender and biblical marriage and biblical roles. And this week, I've been digging into the text, and the Holy Spirit's just been convicting and convicting and convicting and saying, you're not good at this. You're not being biblical in this area. As a matter of fact, there may be some sin in your life related to this and some control issues related to this area of rest. So we may find today that while you were like cheering and excited about the things that were said the last few weeks, you may experience like this morning some real conviction from the Holy Spirit because we are a bad society at resting. We do a poor job of really knowing and understanding what it means not to take a nap, not to have a day off, but to like biblically rest as Christians. In the hurry, worry, busy world that we live in and all the things vying for our attention, I hope that the Holy Spirit will use his word to challenge you related to like biblical rest today and maybe change your perception on some things related to that today. So we're going to look at Genesis uh, 2, 1 through 3, and we'll also look at some other texts. But Genesis 2, 1 through 3 may be familiar to most of you coming off the uh, creation account, the first six days in chapter 1, and it says this. 
It says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. I want you to see four things that God did there, just real quick, four four words right there. In verse 2, it says, on the seventh day, God finished his work. It doesn't mean that God was still kind of working on the seventh day and polishing things up like that. It means that his work ceased. That for six days he had labored, and then it ceased, and then it was time for something else. For those of you who are craftsmen who work with tools, you realize you finish a job, you put away your tools, that ceases, and then you move on. You move on to the next thing, or you enjoy the thing that you've created, maybe if you think in those terms. But the work here in this verse is finished, and it says that he rested. We'll talk more about what that word means in a minute, but the idea of ceasing is there. And I ask you what you think about rest, because today I want to talk to you about what this word rest means in relation to God, and maybe something far different than you've ever thought before, as a matter of fact. But then it says in verse 3, God blessed the seventh day, and he made it holy. Like God saw this day separate than the other days. God set this day apart as something different. And I don't know about you, but growing up in church, like, I, I know the creation account, and in Christian school, I had to memorize the days of creation and be able to tell what was created on which day and how that worked. And chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, God rested, was kind of like a tag-on, right? It was kind of like an appendix. So I started asking myself as I've been doing this study, like, why is that here? Like, what's going on? Is it just like an appendix? It's kind of like all the things happened, and then God took a day off. Is it kind of like the conclusion to the story? Is it just an example? Sometimes I've been taught that this is an example. God took a day off so that you'll take a day off and see that you need a day off. But as I'm reading it and looking at it, you you think it's interesting that that's there if it's just a tag on. Because of this question, like why did God rest? You ever think about that? Like why did God rest? God got tired. God needed a day off. Creating man was a lot of work, right? Right? That's a lot of work. I mean, mankind, of course, men and women together. Not that men are intrinsically, like, you know, more work than women. I wouldn't want to say anything to denote that. But why did God rest? One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament, Isaiah 40, 28. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. Did God need a day off? God creates the world, and he's like, man, I am bush. That's six days off. Give me a couch. Give me a virgin pina colada. I need a day off. No. We know that that's not theologically accurate. So then the next question is, like, is that maybe it's an example, right? We know that God doesn't take days off, doesn't need days off, that we'd all be in trouble if God took a day off, right? It's something called deism, that God just kind of takes days off. We don't believe that. But maybe we all needed an example to follow, Here's what I want to submit to you this morning, and I want us to think through. That God actually rested on purpose. That rather than Genesis 2, 1 through 3 being kind of an appendix or a conclusion tagged on at the end, it's actually the climax of the whole creation narrative. What I want to suggest this morning is that what's happening in Genesis 2, 1 through 3 is the motivation behind all the other days of creation. And I'll help you hopefully understand it and think about it. Usually when we see God rested, in our minds we have some idea of God like sitting down and taking time off. God sitting down on that anthropomorphic couch, right? 
God sits down, takes time off. We need to do the same, get up and rest. And I want to change our thinking this morning, and hopefully in showing you some texts and some scriptures that will help you do this, that rather than when we read and God rested, rather than seeing God sitting down on a couch to take a day off, what the text is really implying is that God sat down on his throne to take up rulership. That everything in this Genesis narrative, as well as some other passages that we're going to look at in just a minute, as well as some other things from outside of the Bible around the time, are showing us that Genesis is saying that God created everything in six days. And he did the work of creation. And in building that creation, he was building his temple. He was building his place to dwell in. And that on day seven, when he rested, like a craftsman setting down his tools, that he set down his craftsman's tools, and he picked up his ruler's scepter. He sat down on his throne, and that was his place of rest. And I know some of you are like, where is he getting that in the text? Like, that's really weird. I don't see it say anything about enthronement. I'm glad you asked. The word rest, first of all, we'll start with the word rest. The word rest means this. It means just to cease or to desist. Right? And it kind of is a play on words from the Hebrew word, which means seventh, which is why the Sabbath is the seventh day. But this word that's used in Genesis here for rest is actually just a, it means to cease or desist. And it's used in that idea of ceasing work. But it's also used in other times and other places to mean to settle into something. To settle into like a place of stability. To settle into a place of security. To dwell in a place where there's equilibrium. Like it's used in other spots to denote that. We're going to look at a couple of other references. Psalm 132. When I'm introducing an idea that maybe you've not heard before or not thought of before or things like that, I want us together to look at the text of Scripture because I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to think about it on your own. So Psalm 132. The idea that a deity rests or dwells in a temple is actually found in many places in the scripture and psalm 132 is one of the places what we where we see that god dwells or rests in a temple psalm 132 verse 7 let us go to his dwelling place let us worship at his footstool arise O lord and go to your resting place you and the ark of your might skip down to verse 13 The Lord has chosen Zion as he desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever where I will dwell, for I have desired it. Now here's a question. From what you know of what God did in the Old Testament, when he rested in the tabernacle or in the temple, and that was the place that they built and that God came and the presence of God, the Shekinah glory as it was called, was known to come and to rest in the temple. Was he taking a day off? Was he just there to kind of rest, to relax and rejuvenate so he could get back at the work of being God? No. That whenever we see in the temple, we see God's glory coming to rest. It's talking about him dwelling, and from that place he ruled. That's why the temple held such an important place in all of Jewish culture, and in some ways even does to this day. Because that was the place where God dwelled, and that was the place where God was known to rule from. Now we understand that God is everywhere present at all times, and that his rulership extends to all the heavens and the earth. But the temple on earth was known to be the seat of his authority. It was the seat of his rule. And Psalm 132 says that what he did was he dwelled and he rested there. What I want you to see is the connection between resting and ruling. That deities rest and rule in temples. Now turn to Isaiah 66. 
few pages over. Isaiah 66. So well, where does God rule? Where does God dwell? Isaiah 66, verse 1 says this. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made. God there is specifically saying that his place of rest, his place of dwelling, his place of rulership is the heavens and the earth, the cosmos. Those two passages help us to understand and connect the idea of God's rest with God's rulership. That when God sat, when he finished creation, he sat down on a throne, not sat down on a chair or sat down on a couch to take a rest. In addition to that, without going into lots of detail, you think, is that what people would have thought in that day about the word rest? Well, as a matter of fact, there are about five or six other creation narratives outside of the Bible. They're not the Bible. We don't believe that they're true, but we do believe that they give you an idea about how people in that day thought. And all of those creation narratives talk about a deity creating the cosmos, creating the world as a, as a temple, and then finishing that creation and sitting down in rulership. People thought that way in the ancient Near East. See, the, the things that I asked you to think about early on this morning were how we as Americans think about rest. We think, I need a day off. I need a day without, like, craziness and cell phones and all of that. People in the ancient Near East, when they heard a God of deity resting, and especially this creation idea, and God created and then rested, nowhere in their thought process would have been like, he's taking a day off. He's just taking a day to kind of like rejuvenate, or he's just kind of setting an example. They would have all seen rest and rulership together. They would have understood that when God put down again his craftsman's tools, he was taking up the ruler's scepter, that he was being enthroned in his temple. That changes the way that we read the creation account, doesn't it? This is... Also not, like, if you're, if you're wondering, like, this isn't like a new theology or some kind of new doctrine or belief system at all. All it is, is is advocating a fuller understanding of what rest means here. So when you go to the text, the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. God had created the temple where he would dwell. On the seventh day, God finished his work. That act of creating is now done. And he rested on the seventh day. He sat down and was enthroned. So he blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Why? Because he's now ruling. He's now doing the thing that he was created, that, that he created the earth to do, to rule. He created mankind for that reason. And in temples, we know that deity dwell in temples, right? God dwells in a temple. But what do people do in a temple? People worship in a temple. That all the earth was created for God to rule and for us to worship him. You see, it's a, a much deeper and better way to understand all that we've read so far. Because my gender is the way that I worship God. Acknowledging my marriage is the way that I worship God. By understanding roles and taking my role as the man that we talked about last week as a way of worshiping God. By uh, Treating man as being made, mankind, people as being made in the image of God as a way of worshiping God. When God rested, he wasn't just taking a day off. 
He wasn't just setting an example. He was saying, I am now ruling that which I created to rule, and you are now ready to worship man. Then when we get to Genesis 3 next week, it helps us to understand just how terrible that sin was and how it cut everything that creation was made for. Because God is in rulership and man is rebelling. So as we think about that, as we think about God's rest being God's ruling, God's being enthroned, how does that make us think about some of the other places in Scripture that talk about Sabbath? So we want to get to a place where we can understand if that's what God was doing, then why was he doing it, and how does that, why does that matter to us? So turn to Exodus chapter 20. There are two places in, that you know that the uh, Ten Commandments are, are stated. They're about 40-ish years apart. In Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments given to Moses on Mount Sinai. And then in Deuteronomy 5, which we'll look at in a moment, we have the re-giving of the Ten Commandments as they're preparing to enter into the Promised Land. In Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8, you'll see the giving of the fourth commandment, the commandment for the Sabbath. Now remember that the commands have come before this are, no other gods before me, no idols, and don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. All really big deals. Then number four says... Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We see that this command, that one of the Ten Commandments, comes straight out of God's creation resting in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Notice that the motivation for why people should keep this commandment in Exodus 20, the motivation is, that is stated is because of what God did in resting on day 7. Now turn to Deuteronomy 5. Deuteronomy 5, the re-giving of the commandments, same order. Deuteronomy 5.12 says this, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. The seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, who is, uh, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Your male ser uh, servant and your female servant may rest with you as well. Now that sounds a lot like the Exodus account. But look, starting in verse 15, notice a difference. Verse 15 says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. The Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. A few observations. The motivation stated is different in the Exodus and the Deuteronomy givings of the commandment. In Exodus, the giving of the commandment, the motivation is based in creation. In Deuteronomy, the motivation for keeping the commandment is based in the Exodus deliverance. Are those not both indicative of God's rulership? You see, the motivation in Exodus, some people look at Exodus and look at Deuteronomy and be like, wait a minute, there's a discrepancy. Which, which one is it? Well, both of those things are evidences of God's rulership. God ruled in creation. God showed his rulership and his sovereignty over all things in the Exodus account. 
And so both of those things are, are there and are both important. This is the fourth of ten commandments. And if you didn't realize it, commandments one through three are explicitly Godward. Commandments 5 through 10 are explicitly manward, us toward other people. And commandment number 4 is actually a bridge between the two. That the Sabbath day, and why it was enshrined and, and codified as one of the God's top 10 list, is because it's a bridge between our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. Because as I'll talk about in a few minutes, it affects both of those things. The way that I practice Biblical rest affects my relationship with God. It also affects my relationship with other people. Both are very important. So in the Old Testament, as you know, like regular times or rhythms of, of remembering God was really important to them. They had feasts. They had festivals. They did some uh, a few times a year. They did some at other junctures. And this one was specifically meant to give them a weekly time of remembrance. Do you know what happens when we forget things? Like when we forget things, bad things happen, doesn't it? You ever forget your anniversary? The laughter tells all that needs to. You ever forget your spouse's birthday, your kid's birthday, your parent's birthday? You ever forget that big day, right? You ever forget like your engagement anniversary? Oh, yeah, like who remembers that, right? When we forget things... Bad things happen. But you know what? We're all prone to forgetfulness, aren't we? And we are especially prone to forgetfulness when it comes to our relationship with God and what God is doing and up to in this world. In the Old Testament, as God was forming his people, as God was making his calling a people unto himself, regular cycles and rhythms of remembrance were codified because they were so crucial to their identity as his people. God knew that we are all prone to forget. And he knew that in the 21st century, we were going to have cell phones, and we would think that they would make us more likely to remember things, right? How many of you, like, you put it in your cell phone, you totally forget it? How did I forget it? It's staring me right in the face. Ah! I set six reminders, and I totally forgot, right? We're prone to forget. And we need those regular reminders and cycles of remembrance, just like God's people in the Old Testament did. And in that day, he, he, he codified them for them. Like, what if Sabbath observance was never supposed to be just about this list of rules? You know that in God's word, in the, in the Old Testament, there's not a lot said about what, really not much at all, about what you do on the Sabbath day. There are a few things about what you don't do. There's really not much at all said about what you're supposed to do. It seems like it's kind of open, Right? But the Pharisees, as we know, the people that were good at making rules, made up lots of rules about the Sabbath and how we keep the Sabbath and what we do and what we don't do. Did you know that exists even today in Israel? Like, I've not been there, but I've heard the stories about the elevators that stop on every floor because if you push a button, that's considered conducting electricity, which is making fire, which is a Sabbath prohibition. Like, those kinds of things happen. And God's people got really good at keeping the letter of the law, but forgetting why they were keeping the law at all, Right? What if the Sabbath was never about keeping these rules and keeping God happy, but really was all about a remembrance of who's in charge and who's not? What if the Sabbath was a regular time when we stopped, when God's people were to stop and remember who's on the throne and who's not on the throne, right? It's not about like, hey, God's people are going to work really hard for six days and they're going to need a day off. It's about taking that time off to stop and remember who's in charge, 
When God said, give one-seventh of your week to me, to his people in the Old Testament, when he said, give one-seventh of your week to me, he was saying, give a period of time where you recognize that this is not about your own self-focus, your own self-fulfillment, getting things done for yourself. It's about recognizing me as in control of the world and me worthy of your time, right? As God instituted the Sabbath and his people followed the Sabbath, it was meant as a specific time of remembrance for who he was and worshiping him and enjoying the things that he had blessed them with. But then here's the last question. What about today? Like, is the Sabbath something that we should continue to practice today? If God rested on day seven, and in resting, he took up rulership, and then he commanded that his people would rest so that they would recognize his rulership, but then when I go to the New Testament, I can't find any passage in the New Testament that's a, an explicit commandment that tells me to keep that Sabbath. As a matter of fact, some have argued that the Sabbath commandment is the only of the Ten Commandments that you don't find restated in the New Testament. So do I need to do it? Is it maybe just a good idea and, and that's about it? Is it, a, is it a commandment? My question would be this. Should we need a commandment? Like, I don't need a commandment to remember my wife's birthday. I don't even need my iPhone for that. Right? I don't need a commandment to remember my kids' birthdays. I don't need a commandment to remember some times when some really significant things have happened in life. They're right here. And I remember them because they're that important. Isn't God's rulership over creation important enough to stop and regularly take time to say, Thank you, Lord? Like, it almost seems to me that if, if we have to, like, codify it, that that defeats the purpose. If it's something that has to be, like, coerced, it, it seems like maybe it doesn't, like, serve its function. And in asking the question, like, well, is it a command? Because if not, man, I'm going to work six and a half days, and then the other half day I'm going to watch sports. A weekly day of rest is what I'm going to call it. I'm not going to call it a Sabbath. I'm going to call it a weekly day of rest is one way that we acknowledge that God is on the throne and that I'm not. A weekly day of rest is one time in life when I acknowledge that I can actually power off my cell phone and the world will not cease to exist. No matter how much I think that like some tragedy is going to happen, that if I power off my cell phone and put it away and I focus on God, guess what? It's going to be okay. Because he's on the throne, and I'm not. And, and, and taking a day of rest is actually a way where I'm bowing my knee in worship to God and saying, I acknowledge your rulership of all things, including my life, and my schedule, and my family, and the fact that I know I have a lot of other things that I could be doing, but you're more important than any of those things. Like a weekly day of rest is an opportunity to what I would say, worship God and enjoy God's blessings. Like if you study what they were doing and what they were, what that was about, they were enjoying God's blessings, the things that he had blessed them with. Things like family is a, is a big one. But what if we took that opportunity? A day of rest, by the way, is, a different, is different from a day off. This is where I've been confused for a long time. This is where I'll get practical and personal. As I said, I have not been good at resting and here's how it's kind of gone in, in my life. Especially over the last few years and really over the last year, last few months as things have continued to 
to uh, progress here at the church is that I've really always known, like, I need to take some time off. I need to take some time off. I need to take some time off. Lindsay reminds me, I, I, I'm like, okay, I need to take a little time off. But what I do is I exchange work here for work somewhere else, right? Or I think that, like, a couple of hours of going out and doing something is enough. What I've missed is that in a day off, I'm the focus. My peace of mind, uh, you know, me getting to go out and do the things that I enjoy. On a day off, I'm the focus and my, like, personal rest and well-being. On a day of rest, I'm not the focus. I'm not the center of attention. My personal well-being is not paramount. On a day of rest, God is. That's what was intended. That's why it was created. That's why God set it apart in Genesis. That's why God commanded his people in the Ten Commandments. That's why Jesus continued to practice it and teach what he taught about the day of rest. Because it's that time when I actually do far from a day off. A day off says, everyone leave me alone. This is about me. I need my me time. A day of rest says, this is about God. This is about me experiencing and enjoying God and worshiping God and enjoying the blessings that he has given me. And so here's how it's working out in my life right now. Is I realize that for a long time, I can, I can take moments and time off, but that there was rarely a day that goes by that something regarding church doesn't come into my life. I can go for weeks or even months when I can't look at a whole day where I've said, like, I haven't done anything related to church or ministry. A few weeks ago, I started to, like, experience some health problems. And I've been a relatively healthy guy, but I started to experience some, like, stress-related health issues. And I'm like, that's weird, because I've never felt those things before. And we started to dig in a little bit and try to figure it out. And I started, like, laying out my schedule and realizing that one of the things that struck me is that, that positive stress is still stress. When you're a pastor, if your church is falling apart and people hate you and they're all emailing you nasty things and things like that, you're like, oh, I'm stressed. Duh. Right? But here, when people don't like you and they don't email you, when people are, I'm just kidding about that. When, when people do, you're like, oh, okay. When things are going well and people are excited and things are good, like, it doesn't seem very stressful. But then all of a sudden, I'm like, my heart feels like it's going to explode. What's going on? Right? You realize positive stress is still stress and if you're not dealing with that properly then there's a problem and as we started to look at it and i started to say like i'm not doing that much and we said oh yeah really let's look at your schedule for the last week or two weeks or three weeks when did you have a full 24-hour period of time when you didn't have anything related to church when did you take a time when you actually powered down your cell phone and didn't have it next to you and the holy spirit started convicting me there more than he did on that gender thing which is probably good but i was personally convicted Right, And so one of the ways that, that we're handling it and dealing with it is that we started to ask, what if I had a day of rest that was specifically devoted to worshiping God and enjoying the things that he's blessed us with? Like in, in the Imhoff family, a day that was devoted to like focusing and worshiping God, focusing on God and enjoying the blessings that he's given us. Like what if I had a time when I like turned the cell phone off and we all did and, and all those kinds of things. And then I started to think, man, that's going to be tough because, like, Lindsay's job means that she works different days of the week, including sometimes Friday and sometimes Saturday, and it's intermittent. Now we've got girls who are getting jobs, and how are we going to find that time? And I was talking to my friend Jason about Sunday, and I started to think, like, well, what, what about Sunday? I've always seen Sunday as, like, my biggest work day of the week. I know for some of you it's the only day I work. I get it. 
Really not. You're like, you get six days off. What are you complaining about? Right? No. But I started to look at Sunday and say, well, wait a minute. Like, I love doing this. This invigorates me. Opening God's word is exciting. I consider it an act of worship. Sitting there with you singing together as a family is worship. That's worshiping God together. So we started to say, like, Sunday's the only day that we know she doesn't have to work, that in the afternoons that I can have time. What if on Sundays we started to take that as, like, a true day of rest where we worship with our church family together, and then we go home and we enjoy the blessings and the things that God has blessed us with? And I'm not suggesting a legalistic rule at all. I'm not suggesting a legal, legalistic day off. I'm telling you that for my family and my personal convictions, here's what I'm working through. That after we get done here this afternoon, I'm going to take a deep breath, and I'm going to hold those buttons, and I'm going to power it down. And I'm going to go home, and I'm going to put it away, and I'm not going to turn it back on until tomorrow. And I don't know if I'll have, like, stress-induced PTSD or anything like that. But I'm going to do that. And then we're going to enjoy. And I don't even know what that means. Like, we didn't even plan anything yet. We're going to probably eat some good food. It'll probably involve dark chocolate. Uh, that's a blessing from the Lord, right? We might go for a walk. But we're going to enjoy it. And you know what? The girls, last night we talked about it. We had, like, family dinner meeting time. And they're all like, yeah, we're going to power down our devices. And we're all going to park them together. We're not going to turn on the TV. We might even play a game. Not restful for me at all. But I'm trying to be a good example right? But I just wonder, and you just think, like, what if, really, we had that opportunity every week, and we made it a priority. We said, God, you're important enough that the sporting events, and you're important enough that the cell phones, and you're important enough that all the other things, that we're going to create a regular time where we worship you, and we enjoy the blessings that you've given us to enjoy. I bet that would change us. But it would change us inside. I bet it would change our relationships with each other and our families. So there's a challenge. Find that time. Reevaluate your Sundays. Is that something that we could do? I know we live in this crazy culture that no longer values Sundays as that day of rest. But you know what? The, there's a reason that the early church flipped from Saturday to Sunday, the Sabbath to the first day of the week. It's because it's the week that Jesus rose. And the day of rest became, in the early church, the Lord's Day became Sunday because it was in celebration of the resurrection. And that leads me to this conclusion, is that in Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, and you don't have to turn there, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 talks about the day of rest anticipating our eternal rest. That it says that in creation and in the Old Testament and then in the New Testament and in the early church, that that time of rest in acknowledging that God is on the throne and enjoying what he's given us to enjoy, that that's just an anticipation, according to Hebrews 3 and 4, of our eternal rest that's found in Jesus. Because if you read the end of the book in Revelation 21 and 22, you see that rest. You see when we will fully acknowledge Jesus as Lord and that we will fully experience his blessing, right? And so if I take a little weekly time to anticipate that, things are going to go well. And I would challenge and encourage you to do that as well. It's an exciting time to be part of PCBC. I want it to keep going. And as Lauren said to me the other day, like, we want to keep doing it together. I don't want that AED machine out there to have to be used on me on a Sunday morning. I know it would be informative for some of you, but, like, I don't want to have to go through that. But more than that, I don't want to... Here, here's a statement. Someone told me a long time ago, busyness in the king's business is no excuse for neglecting the king. Like, I don't want that to be true 
of me. I don't want that to be true of us as things continue to ramp up around here. I want us to be focused more and more and more on who's on the throne and more and more and more on what he's blessed us with. Amen. Why don't you stand with me? We're going to pray. The team's going to come and we're going to sing. Worship is part of acknowledging God and acknowledging our rest in God. Worshiping through song is part of that. So let me pray for us and then we're going to do that together. God, thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicts us. Thank you for the conviction even this week. And God, I pray for the strength to do what you've called me to do this week. Uh, For each of us to to make hard decisions, to apply what you've called us to apply from this text. God, that we would continue to think through it and think about it. And God, that we would just continue to acknowledge that you are the creator, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. And you do not grow tired or weary that you are ruling on your throne even when it seems like maybe you're not, that we can trust that you are ruling and that our job is to acknowledge that and rest in it. And I pray, God, that even as we sing these songs, that that would just be the beginning of us resting in you. In Jesus' name, amen.